It's me, Birdie, the conductor of the story train. I'm the one that wears a green baseball cap with a little white birdie on the front and my favorite overalls. All aboard the story train. Find a comfy seat. We're about to leave the station, and you know what that means. We're going someplace new. One whistle. We're on our way. I wonder where Story Train will lead us this time. We're entering the Rainbow Tunnel. Hold on, everyone. It's off to far, far away. This is so exciting! Just on the other side of the short Rainbow Tunnel lies our destination. That was quick. We're already at the end of the tunnel. Oh, I know this place. It's an enchanted palace in a wild forest. Today's story is about a kind girl who doesn't judge others based on outward appearances. It's called Beauty and the Beast. There was once a wealthy merchant who had three sons and three daughters. His daughters were extremely pretty, especially the youngest. She was named Beauty, which annoyed her jealous older sisters. These two envious sisters were so proud of their father's fortune that they looked down on other people in the village and would only socialize when there was a fancy ball or play to attend. Beauty was kind and not a snob in the least. In fact, her favorite pastime was reading. Beauty always had her nose in a book and enjoyed learning about everything and anything. Because their father was rich, many wealthy men wanted to marry Beauty and her two older sisters. But the two eldest sisters always replied that they would not consider marrying anybody below a duke or at least an earl. Beauty would kindly thank her suitors, but would say she was still too young and with too much to learn, and that she wished to remain a few years longer living with her father. But fortunes can change in an instant, and this is what happened to Beauty's father. His merchant business was suddenly ruined, and nothing was left of all his vast property except for a small and shabby house in the country. He informed his children that they must go and move there, as they had no other option. The two elder sisters replied haughtily that they would not leave town, as they had plenty of suitors who would be all too happy to marry them, even without a fortune. <laughs> but here they were quite mistaken. Their old suitors would not even look at them now. And as they had made themselves deeply unlikable by being proud, snobbish, and egotistical, nobody pitied them for their fall in society. But everyone felt sorry for Beauty, who was beautiful inside as well as outside. Indeed, several gentlemen offered to marry her, poor as she was. But she told them she could not abandon her father in his misfortunes. 
the family had now moved to the country, where the father and his sons tilled the ground, while Beauty rose daily at four o'clock in the morning and did all the work in the house. At first, this drudgery seemed very hard. But after a while, she grew stronger, and she learned to find the joy in each day. When her daily work was over, Beauty would read and read as she'd always done. As for her two sisters, they were perfectly helpless and a burden to themselves and the rest of the family. They would rise at ten in the morning and spend the live-long day fretting for the loss of their fine clothes and fancy parties. They would sneer at Beauty because she put up with their unfortunate position so cheerfully. The family had spent about a year in their small country shack when the merchant received a letter, letting him know that a ship filled with goods belonging to him that was thought to be lost at sea had just come into port. Now he could make his fortune again. At this unexpected news, the two eldest sisters were half wild for joy, for they now hoped they would soon leave the cottage. And when their father was about to go and settle his business, they begged him to bring them back all sorts of dresses and trinkets. When the father noticed that Beauty did not ask for anything, he asked her what he should bring her. Why, since you ask me, dear father, she said, I would like you to bring me a rose because none grow in this part of the countryside. With that, Beauty's father set off, but when he reached the port, he was required to go to the court to prove his ownership of the cargo. Since he could not pay for the legal fees to do so, he turned around and started back towards the country cottage, just as poor as he had been when he set off. Beauty's father was passing through a large forest that night, within 30 miles of home, when he was overtaken by heavy snow. Having completely lost his way, he began to be afraid that he would die of hunger and cold. But then he saw a light at the end of a long, long avenue of trees. He headed toward the light and reached a splendid palace where, to his surprise, there was not a human being to be found. His horse followed him, and seeing a stable door open, Beauty's father let his horse inside to feed heartily on hay and oats. The merchant then entered the house, where he still saw nobody, but found a good roaring fire and a supper table prepared for one person. Since he was completely drenched, he sat down near the fire to dry his clothes, saying to himself, Oh, I hope the master of the house will excuse the liberty I am taking, for no doubt it will not be long before they make their appearance. Beauty's father then waited a long time. Many hours passed, and still no one came. By the time the clock struck eleven, he was so exhausted with hunger that he ate up everything on the table. Then, taking courage, he left the hall and crossed several suites of rooms, all of which were magnificently furnished. At last he found a very nice bedroom, and as it was now past midnight and he was very tired, he closed the door and went to bed.
Beauty's father did not wake up until ten o'clock the following morning, when he was surprised to find new clothes laid out instead of his own, which were spoiled. He now concluded the palace belonged to some kind of fairy, a notion which was completely confirmed on looking out of the window, and seeing that the snow had been replaced by flowery arbors and enchanting gardens. After dressing, he returned to the great hall. Where he had eaten supper the previous night, there he saw a small table, on which stood some chocolate, bread, and fruit, all ready for his breakfast. When his meal was finished, he went to look after his horse, and as he happened to pass under a bower of roses, he thought of his daughter Beauty's request. He plucked a bunch of roses to take home to her. No sooner had he done so than he heard a frightful roar and saw such a horrible beast stalking up to him that he was ready to faint with alarm. "You are most ungrateful!" cried the beast in a terrific voice. "I saved your life by letting you into my palace, and you reward me by stealing my roses, which I love beyond everything else." You shall pay for them with your life's blood. The poor merchant threw himself on his knees before the beast, saying, "Forgive me, my lord. I did not know I would offend you by plucking a rose for one of my daughters." I am not a lord, but a beast," answered the monster. "I hate flattery, and you will not come over me with any fine speeches." But. As you say, you have daughters. I will forgive you, provided one of them comes willingly to die instead of you. But you must swear that if they refuse, you will return in three months to meet your fate. The merchant had no intention of sacrificing one of his daughters to the beast, but wishing to see his children once more before he died, he swore to return. With this promise, the beast dismissed him, telling him that if he returned to his bedroom, he would find a large trunk which he could fill with anything he fancied in the palace. Somewhat comforted at the idea of leaving his children provided for, the merchant returned to his room, where he found a lot of gold pieces. And having filled the trunk up, he left the palace in a far sadder mood than he had entered it. On reaching home, he gave the rose to his youngest daughter, saying, "Take these roses, beauty. Do not dwell on how much they have cost your poor father." And then he told his children all that had befallen him. The two eldest sisters then began to lament and to rage at beauty for being the cause of their father's death. But beauty replied that she was quite resolved to go and die in her father's place. No," cried the three brothers. "We will go and seek this monster, and either he or we shall perish." But the merchant assured them it was foolish to attempt resisting the beast's all-powerful will, and that it was their duty to live to protect their sisters, just as it was his duty as their father to sacrifice his own life. That evening, Beauty's father hid the trunk in his bedroom. He didn't want to mention the trunk of riches to his eldest daughters, as he knew they would just pester him to return to town. 
Three months passed, and when the day came that Beauty was supposed to set out with her father, the two heartless sisters rubbed their eyes with an onion to appear as if they had cried a great deal, while her brothers shed real tears. The horse took the right road of his own accord, and on reaching the palace, which was illuminated as before, he went at once into the stable, while the father and daughter entered the great hall. Supper had been laid out for them. After supper, they heard a tremendous noise. Beauty shuddered on seeing the beast enter, and when he inquired whether she had come willingly, she could not help trembling as she said, Yes. Then I am obliged for your kindness, growled the beast. And turning to the father, he added, As for you, be gone tomorrow and never let me see you here again. Good night, beauty. Good night, beast, answered she, and then the monster left. The merchant again begged Beauty to leave him to his fate and run back home, but the next morning Beauty told her father to do as the beast ordered and go. When her father was gone, Beauty could not help shedding some tears before she examined the various rooms of the palace. As she was exploring, she was surprised to find the words, Beauty's Suite, written upon one of the doors. She opened it and found a magnificently furnished room and was delighted to see an extensive library. Her surprise increased when she opened one of the books and saw written in golden letters, Your wishes and commands shall be obeyed. Here you are the queen of everything. Alas, thought Beauty, my wish is to see what my poor father is doing now. No sooner had she expressed this desire in her own mind than she saw depicted in a large looking-glass her father's arrival at home. Her sisters came out to meet him, and in spite of their affected sorrow, it was plain enough that they rejoiced in their hearts at his returning alone. After all, they'd always been jealous of beauty. This vision disappeared a moment afterwards, and Beauty felt grateful to the beast for granting her wish by providing the magic book and looking glass. At noon, she found lunch ready for her, and she was treated all the while to an excellent concert, though she saw nobody. At night, the beast came down and asked to have supper with her, which of course she could not refuse, though she trembled from head to foot. Presently, he asked whether Beauty thought he was ugly. Yes, said Beauty, because I cannot tell a lie, but I also think you are very good. The supper passed pleasantly enough, and Beauty had half recovered from her alarm when he suddenly asked her whether she would marry him. Though she was afraid of irritating him, Beauty said, No beast. Then he sighed, shaking the whole house before saying, Very well then, good night, Beauty, in a sorrowful tone. Then the beast left the room, and Beauty could not help pitying him from her soul. Beauty lived like this for three months. The beast came to supper every night, and 
By and by, as the days passed, she grew accustomed to his ugliness and began to hold him in higher and higher esteem for all of his many good qualities. The only thing that pained Beauty was that he never failed to ask her each and every night after supper whether she would marry him. She told him that she felt friendship but no love for him, and he begged her at least to promise never to leave him. One morning, Beauty saw in her looking glass that her father lay sick with grief at her supposed death. And, as her sisters were now married, and her brothers had left home to go be soldiers, her father was alone. She had so great a wish to go and see her father that she told the beast she would die if he refused her leave. Go, said the beast. I would much rather I die of grief in your absence than have you suffer, so you may go. But Beauty promised to return in a week. The beast wished her good night and went sadly to his bedroom. On waking the next morning, Beauty rushed to her father's cottage. His delight at seeing her soon restored his health. He sent for her sisters, who presently came with their husbands to see her. Both of Beauty's sisters were unhappily married, as one of their husbands was so vain that he thought nothing of his wife, and the other one was so sarcastic that he was a misery to be around. The sisters were so jealous to see Beauty happy and magnificently dressed. Then they heard how kind the beast was to her, and their envy overcame them. Beauty's sisters came up with a plan for detaining her beyond the week the beast had allowed her to stay, in hopes he would be furious and devour her whole. When the week was over, Beauty's sisters pretended to have so much grief at her departure that Beauty agreed to stay another week. But on the night of the tenth day, when she had stayed away three days longer than she was supposed to, she dreamt that she saw the beast lying half-dead on the grass in the palace garden. Beauty woke up in tears, sprang out of bed, and began her journey back to the palace at once. Beauty arrived back at the palace in time for supper, and waited downstairs at the table for her dearest friend, the beast, to join her. But nine o'clock struck, and still the beast did not appear. Beauty then seriously feared she had caused his death and ran into the garden toward the spot she had dreamt about. There she saw the poor beast lying senseless on the grass. Beauty threw herself upon his body in despair, and when feeling that his heart still beat, she ran to fetch some water from a neighboring stream and threw it into his face. The beast opened his eyes, saying in a faint voice, You forgot your promise? and I determined to starve myself to death. But since you have returned, I shall at least die happy. No, you cannot die, dear beast, cried Beauty. You shall live to be my husband, for I now feel I really love you. No sooner had she spoken these words than the palace was brilliantly illuminated, fireworks were displayed, and a band of music struck up. The beast had disappeared, and in his place a very handsome prince was at Beauty's feet, thanking her for having broken his enchantment. "'But where is my poor beast?' said Beauty anxiously. "'He is now before you,' said the prince. 
A wicked fairy condemned me to retain the form of a beast until someone had sufficient goodness to love me in spite of my ugliness. Beauty, now delighted, helped the prince to rise to his feet, and they returned to the palace together. Beauty sent for her father to come share in their joy. Beauty and the prince were then married, and lived happily ever after. It's time for us to head back to Pflugerville. Here comes the Rainbow Tunnel. Come back and see me again. You never know where the story train will take us. And if you like stories, search for Go Kid Go wherever you listen, and you'll find lots of great adventures. See you next time. Thank <laughs> you.